This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to the Health Check podcast from The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with the paper. We are listening to the second episode of a two-part series on aging well with our special guest, Professor Brian Kennedy, the director of the NUHS Centre for Healthy Longevity. Prof. Kennedy was previously the president and CEO of the Buck Institute for Research on Aging in the United States. While we all want to look and feel young as we age, and animal studies have shown that caloric restriction can slow the onset of age-related diseases like heart failure, kidney disease, and diabetes. So eating less than usual while making sure we get enough nutrients may help delay aging and possibly enable us to live longer. But this is of course easier said than done. So let's hear from Prof. Kennedy on this, on the latest research in the aging field, and on what is the best anti-aging diet out there. Hi, Prof. Kennedy. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, right, so let's get straight to the topic today. So what is the best diet for aging well? If you look in the United States, the recommended calorie intake for a male is 2,200, and the average male in the U.S. is eating 3,900 calories a day. Things are not as bad in Singapore, but still people are overeating. So the first thing I would recommend to people is to bring their calorie intake down to recommended levels. Beyond that, I think a second step is to really balance your macronutrients. So this is uh, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And getting an appropriate balance for that is probably the healthiest strategy. There are a lot of people now that are eating high-protein, high-fat diets with zero carbohydrates. They call it a keto diet, and they, it will cause you to lose weight, and it may be good in the short term, but I'm not sure that kind of unbalanced macronutrient diet is healthy in the long term for aging. Uh, so I recommend people have a balanced macronutrient diet. And then also I think what's been shown recently is that fasting is very <laughs> beneficial for aging. So by fasting, I mean periods of time during the day or the week where you're not eating. So there's several different fasting strategies. There's a 5-2 diet where people eat normally for five days a week and more or less fast for the other two days. That's hard for a lot of people. So there are all those different types of fasting diets, right? Is there one that is better than the rest when it comes to aging well? Yeah, so uh, there's that 5-2 diet and there's also time-restricted feeding where people eat within an eight-hour window each day and a lot of people find that to be easier to do. And there are companies as well that produce uh, diets that mimic fasting. So there's a company, El Nutra, which full disclosure I'm involved with, that will sell you a box of food that in a five-day window you eat what the food that's in that box and it brings your calorie intake way down on the third and fourth day. So all of these strategies, I think, show benefit. There's research showing that they protect against a range of different diseases. And I think that adopting one of them in your life is probably beneficial. Now, I think what it comes down to is sustainability. So, you know, I think Choosing the diet, the, the, the fasting approach that's something you can maintain in your life is probably more important than the subtle differences between one or the other. But the data on fasting is quite promising. Right. Does it help us if we just do this for a short period of time? Or is it something that you have to do just regularly? I think generally you, you should do it regularly. Now, this fasting mimicking diet that the company has, they recommend that you do every month or every two months. So most of the time you're eating normally and then you're getting these periodic, very low-calorie windows of time. And that seems to be sufficient to provide benefits. So in a way, that's good because it allows you to have a normal life most of the time. 
but you know, eating in a 12-hour window is not that difficult if you try. And even eating in an eight-hour window is not that difficult. So I know lots of people that have adopted that sustainably into their lifestyle, and they're very happy with it. What does it actually mean? You know, when you talk about calorie restriction, and that—that's not starving ourselves, right? Yeah. So calorie restriction is not really the same as fasting. So what that means is that you're bringing your calorie intake down to levels that are just above malnutrition. So in other words, you get what you need, but nothing extra. And so for me, that would be about 1,400 or 1,500 calories a day. And that turns out to be very, very difficult to do for two reasons. One is people like to eat, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. so they don't want to do the calorie restriction. But the other is that when you're eating that few number of calories a day, it's hard to get the right balance of macronutrients and all the micronutrients you need. So I think a lot of people that are not doing it very well are actually malnourished when they're trying to do calorie restriction. So I suspect that it's beneficial if you can do it, but it's not that easy to do unless you know a lot about nutrition and. It's also can have some side effects that some people report low sex drive and things like that. So I don't recommend that as a strategy to take. I think the fasting strategies are much easier, especially like the time restricted feeding, is much easier to incorporate in your life because you can still get the food you want. You just have to eat it in a window of time, and most people find that easier. I guess people are already they try this fasting diets to lose weight, right? And then they might think that if you not eat for longer period of time, you it might help you. I mean, does that work? Yeah, you, fasting tends to help you lose weight, but you know, again, it, with all these diets that help you lose weight, the key is to sustain them because you know you can alter your macronutrient balance in all kinds of different ways and lose weight, but if you go back after two weeks to your normal diet, it won't stay. The weight won't stay off or after two months. So. Again, I think it all comes down to sustainability. This is about a healthy lifestyle. It's not about a short-term fix to a problem you may be having. Right, and it's also about eating. You mentioned a balanced diet as well when you actually eat. Yeah, and and in fact, you know, if you look at the animal studies of longevity, people tend to think carbohydrates are terrible for you. But if you look at those animal studies, if you keep an isocaloric diet, so you give All the animals the same number of calories, but you change the balance of proteins to carbohydrates. What you find is it's the high carbohydrate, low protein diets that are associated with longer lifespan. And so I'm not convinced that these very high protein, low carb diets are good for you. Now, having said that, the beneficial carbohydrates are more the complex carbohydrates. And so one problem people have is they get a lot of their carbohydrates from processed sugars. So they drink soda, they get high fructose corn syrup. Things that come in packages, and those kinds of carbohydrates are probably unhealthy. So, if you can have a diet that has a nice quantity of complex carbohydrates that come from fruits and other sources, I think that may be pretty healthy, actually. So, is there any food that we should avoid or eat less of? We eat a lot of dairy in our diet, particularly Westerners, and I think a reasonable amount of evidence that this very high dairy content is not particularly good for aging. And some of the reason that people in Asia may live longer is they have much lower dairy intake. So I tell people to watch their dairy intake, particularly if they're lactose intolerant, but even generally if they're not, because when you think about it, in our evolutionary history, we didn't have milk after we were a couple years old. You know, when we were hunter gatherers, <laughs> and so now we're encouraged to have milk all the time, and I'm not so sure it's good milk. Right. So what is too much then? Well, I cut milk entirely out of my diet. But I tell people with things like milk and red meat intake that if you like them, have them. Just have modest quantities of them. Don't go crazy. 
you know, treat them as uh, something you do every now and then because you enjoy it, not something you do three times a day every time you have a meal. I see. I think we drink milk, or at least we're given to think that, you know, we, we need the calcium and then we need to drink the milk. So if we don't, you know, where do we get this sauce? What is the best sauce for calcium, especially for children? Well, for ch- I'm not discouraging children to have milk. I think that mm. as, a, as an adult is what I'm more concerned about. And right. most adults are not calcium deprived. That is an issue with some women postmenopausally. And this comes down to another thing I recommend is that people ask me about things like calcium or vitamins all the time. And the key is, what are your levels? I think that if you look at these multivitamin tests, for instance, the clinical studies show they don't have any benefit. I think that these vitamins are very important. The problem is if you just give everybody a high dose of a vitamin, you're not getting them into the right levels. So some people already had enough of that vitamin. Now you're giving them too much. Other people are still too low. So I think we need to personalize a little bit our approach to these vitamins and other micronutrients because we should measure the levels in the individual we're we're interested in and then try to optimize those levels rather than just give everybody a high dose of something. Go to the doctor and have them test your vitamins and some of those micronutrients and figure out which ones are in the abnormal range and then work on trying to change those things, not just take a big multivitamin that has everything. What what kind of test would that be? Usually they're blood tests. You can measure vitamin levels. Most micronutrients, you can measure levels in blood or serum. So I really think that should be a standard part of medical care when people go to the doctor, but they generally that's not done. So when somebody asks me, should they take vitamin D? I don't know because I'm in the dark. I don't know how, what their vitamin D levels are. Right, because doctors don't usually talk about supplements. You know, usually when you ask them, they're like, no, you just eat a balanced diet. Yeah, I think there's a perception out there that supplements don't work. And well, part of it is these, the failure of these large multivitamin studies I mentioned. But also, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there in the supplement market is not well studied. There haven't been the appropriate clinical studies. And even in the aging research field where I am, a lot of people, uh, scientists, avoided studying supplements because they had the, of this perception of them not working. But I, I realized a few years ago that I think it's better to enter this field and actually do the appropriate testing and figure out which supplements work and which ones don't and then get the clinical data to prove that they work. And so that's one of the things we're really trying to do here in Singapore is to test different supplements and show using controlled medical studies that we can get benefit from them. Because these are generally safe things. And a new drug, you never know its safety profile without almost 10 years of testing. So if we can find which supplements work, then that could dramatically benefit the health of the population with age. And so what we're trying to do is to bring hardcore science into the supplement field and figure out uh, what works and what doesn't. Right. So, so far, which ones um, actually look like they will work? Well, in the aging field, I think there's two or three supplements that are now uh, getting a lot of attention. One of them are what's called NAD precursors. So there's this molecule NAD in your body that uh, is very important for many different reactions in cells, and that declines with aging. And so you can't add that molecule back directly, but you can add precursors the body converts to NAD. So these would be things like nicotinamide riboside, uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, and you can buy these on the internet. Mm -hmm. Another one that I'm really excited about, because it's a company I'm working with, is alpha-ketoglutarate. And it's a little bit similar. So this is another central metabolite. It's important for a number of different things in the body, and it declines with age. And what we find is that when we add it back to mice as they're aging, 
the mice live a little bit longer, so they live 10% longer, which is great, but it's not a big effect. The big effect is that they have dramatically reduced frailty. So in other words, we're compressing the morbidity of these animals. They stay healthy for a very long time, and then they only get sick at the very end and die, which if we could achieve that with humans, that would be a huge benefit. And so we already have some data with alpha-ketoglutarate in human studies because this company, uh, Ponce de Leon Health, is, is already marketing it, and people are reporting back things that they're finding. And then we also have controlled clinical studies ongoing in the U.S. And it's too early to say a lot, but we're encouraged that this alpha-ketoglutarate may be beneficial during aging. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to Health Check on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now back to our conversation with Professor Brian Kennedy. He's the director of the NUHS Center for Healthy Longevity. So this supplements, the, the two supplements that you talk about, are they safe? I mean, like, say, if someone actually goes out and buy them now and eat them without testing, going to the uh, yeah. doctor to test? There, there's a list of compounds that are called generally regarded as safe or grass, and both of those those components are in that list. And so that means they've been tested and shown very good safety profiles. So, And in fact, alpha-ketoglutarate has been studied for decades, and it's been in a number of clinical studies. It's been shown to be beneficial in protecting from bone loss in postmenopausal women. And uh, it's also been shown to be safe at very high levels of intake. Another group of people that take it are bodybuilders and exercise endurance athletes. And uh, we think that one of the things AKG is doing is improving red blood cell function, which means when you're exercising, you might get better oxygen delivery to your muscle tissues. And that may be why it benefits athletes. So, yeah, these, these are things that are considered safe. That doesn't mean you can take massive doses of things, but at the standard recommended doses, these things are safe. If you take 50 times as much of anything as what's recommended, then who knows what's going to happen. Right. So that, this is true with anything you buy on the counter. Take the recommended dose, not massively high doses of it. Right. So can you say that the name of the two supplements again? I mean, how do you actually yeah, spell so it? It's quite long. There's really two groups. And so the first group I mentioned are things that increase NAD levels in the body. And so there are two of them. <laughs> One is called NMN and the other is called NR nicotinamide riboside. And so if you look those up on the internet, you'll find companies that produce them. And then the other one is alpha-ketoglutarate. And the product that this company is producing is called Rejuvent, R-E-J-U-V-A-N-T. And uh, you can buy that online as well. Right. So the first one you mentioned, so there are actually different types. Again, it's very difficult to add NAD directly, although people are doing research on that. Because if you swallow a pill, the NAD doesn't say stable in the gut. But you can take these precursors that your body converts to NAD, and there are multiple different precursors. One of them is NMN and the others in R that are commonly used. There are others as well that are less studied. So people are still trying to figure out how best to increase NAD levels. Right. So taking these supplements will help you prevent chronic diseases? In animal or... models, they do that. In human studies, the clinical studies are generally still ongoing, so I can't say for sure that they work, but I think there's a lot of confidence in the aging research field that these things are going to improve aspects of health span. So again, it's not just about preventing disease, it's keeping you functional and active longer. And so for instance, with AKG, people report better exercise performance. I kind of feel that I have that myself when I'm out exercising. And so, you know, if you're getting better exercise performance, that's also helping your body. So your body is functionally younger, not just disease-free. So that, that's what we're hoping to achieve. 
at what age can people actually take this? I mean, if you're too young, there's no point, right? The clinical studies we're doing are people 45 to 65 because we think that's the most likely group that's going to start taking this stuff, and those are the people that are at risk of disease in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that really young people need to be taking this, but I think people in their adult life, you, they may see benefits from taking these things. And again, it's a matter of whether people want to go ahead and start trying these things or whether they want to wait a little bit longer until we get more clinical data. I'm sure there'll be other supplements. There already are other supplements that are being tested. Yeah, hey, Prof, I know uh, when it comes to diet, you mentioned that, you know, we, we have to eat a balanced diet, right? But are there any specific anti-aging foods that we can look out for? Well, I, I think one thing that I would recommend and a, a lot of people in the aging field believe is berries like blueberries that are high in polyphenols. So you may have heard of this compound resveratrol. It got a lot of attention about a decade ago as something that would slow aging. I think the data on resveratrol is still unclear, but resveratrol is a is a member of a class of molecules called polyphenol. And things like blueberries, pomegranates have very high levels of these polyphenols. And as a class, those molecules may be beneficial. And this also became popular because grapes have that too. So red wine has a lot of polyphenols. That led to this uh, notion that drinking red wine would be good for aging. So I think that those foods that are high in polyphenols are probably uh, beneficial. I also recommend anything you can include green leafy vegetables in your diet. There's a number of different compounds and vegetables that are beneficial for you. And just high vegetable content generally in your diet is probably healthy. Right. So, you know, if you don't eat vegetables, like the real vegetables, right, does it help? You just take the supplements? There's some supplements like AKG you can't get in diet. It's not in foods you eat. But for things that you can get in your diet, I think it's better to get it through the probably through eating the foods than taking the supplement. I'm not saying the supplements won't help you, they may. But for instance, if you're eating a diet that's rich in green leafy vegetables, you're not just getting certain phytochemicals, you're getting a whole range of different molecules that are and a, and a well-balanced set of macronutrients as well in that diet. So I think the best thing to do is to eat the healthy foods and then supplement where you need to. I just wanted to check on the fasting diet, right? Because some people who are really focused on losing weight and then they try this fasting diet and they don't eat for, um, you know, more than the recommended time, like say 5-2, maybe they, they do um, a 3-4 or something. I mean, will that work or will that harm the body? Your, your body is evolutionarily programmed to deal with some things and not others. So you could ask, why do we have an obesity epidemic? And the answer, I think, is that throughout evolution, we were never exposed to too many calories. Our body never had to adapt to eating way too many calories, and it just can't handle that. And so what happens is that there's no way to keep metabolism in balance, and the overnutrition ultimately leads to obesity and disease. And if you tell people that are eating way too many calories to cut down, they find it hard. Even though their body should only require 2,200 calories a day, they've reprogrammed their body to eat 4,000. And then when they don't eat, they feel hungry. So it's difficult for them to cut their calorie intake. And we have very good mechanisms in place to deal with fasting. One of those is that we turn up stress response pathways in our cells. And it may be those stress response pathways that get turned up that are good for aging, not just the weight loss. So uh, in general, your body adapts very well to fasting. Now, I would say that if you have medical conditions or if you're frail, cachexic, then you have to be much more careful. And one of the things we noticed is that if we take animals and do fasting with them, they're much healthier during age. 
and they generally live longer. But eventually, when they get very old, they don't react well to the fasting. Because what happens when people become frail is that a lot of times they can't digest and incorporate the nutrients, particularly amino acids, that they need to keep in a healthy state. And so those people are undernourished to start with, and then fasting is bad for them. So I would say that generally healthy people that fast, it's not a problem. I think if you're going to start doing very long fasts, you should consult with a physician first and make sure that you're healthy and don't have problems. Obviously, you need water intake. You know, certainly if you increase fasting to a long period of time, you have to be careful. I know people that do it, but you need to be careful. Thanks for the tips, Prof. Gandhi. Oh, anytime. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. We hope you like these anti-aging tips from Professor Brian Kennedy, the director of the NUHS Center for Healthy Longevity. Thanks for listening. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.